Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report, your weekly political roundup. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Good evening and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Emily Means, political reporter with KUER, Spencer Stokes, president of Stokes Strategies, and Doug Wilkes, editor of the Deseret News. I'm so glad to be with you all tonight. This has been an interesting week in politics. And I want to start with something that's so interesting with you, Spencer, because it feels like we just ended an election, but we're already talking about the next one, and particularly when it comes to Mike Lee, Senator Mike Lee, for his third term. Let's, let's just get right into it, because you, you've worked with him in the past. You know, is, is he running? And what do you make of the fact we have challengers coming forward al already, potentially? He, he's running, uh, Jason, and uh, you know I, I've sat in a, an unusual perch. I like Mike Lee. I like him a lot. And as a state, we should be proud that our tent is big enough to house uh, a Mitt Romney and Mike Lee. Now we've got to understand that there's three rings inside that tent, so there's a little bit of a circus atmosphere inside of there. But but Senator Lee really determines where the the political center is in the country, because you've got you know Bernie Sanders and you've got Elizabeth Warren over on the left, and you need people over on the right. And if that right stake gets pulled up and shifted to the center, the political center shifts in this country. So, so Mike Lee fills a vital role in our nation and for the state to, to keep that right flank alive. Uh, you know, he, he enjoys great popularity amongst Republican voters in the state of Utah. And the state is pretty evenly divided right now with, with people loving uh, Mitt Romney or loving Mike Lee, and it seems that the tent is big enough for both. Uh -huh. let's, let's talk about that popularity for just a second. Uh, Doug, uh, a poll that Hinckley Institute just did with you in the Deseret News kind of got to that very question about Mike Lee uh, with his approval ratings. And overall, it was a 45%. But what Spencer just said is what is very interesting with Republicans, he's sitting at 67% and it stays in that range most of the time for him. Well, I think the issue is going to be what does the Republican Party look like, right? Is that if many moderates come into the race, but um, the influence of Donald Trump and uh, his uh, movement, if you will, in the Republican Party, if that's dominant, then that helps Mike Lee. Uh, the more moderates that get into the race, that helps Mike Lee. So how are you going to separate? There is a great conversation going on right now. What's the future of the Republican Party? Mm. Mike Lee, when he was on the campaign trail for Donald Trump, his rhetoric a lot of people didn't like. Um, but then if um, he is a man of principle and so that principle five years ago contributed to shutting down the government. He recovered from that, and um, he's, he's, he's fascinating. Actually, both of our senators, Mitt Romney and Mike Lee, are fascinating, and people are looking at, well, who do we want to lead us? So it's mm -hmm. quite an interesting race. Well, e Emily, to a couple of these points, uh, let's talk about some people who are jumping in, because uh, at least a couple of them when it comes to, like, Ali Isom uh, is one that says she's exploring, Becky Edwards, a former legislator. Maybe we see someone like Thomas Wright. This, this narrative that Doug was just talking about seems to be what some of them are talking about. It's, it's those votes. Uh, in the past is the, the Trump connection. Well, I don't see any reason at this point why Mike Lee wouldn't even win. And also, you know, I read that story from Brian Schott in the Salt Lake Tribune, and none of these, none of these uh, 
possible candidates are official yet, right? So Mike Lee is an incumbent. Uh, as you mentioned, he enjoys great popularity in this state. As an incumbent, he's got name recognition and a lot of money. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if we'll actually even get into the, the nitty gritty of, oh, is he too conservative for this state? Or do we need a more moderate senator to join uh, Mitt Romney, who is also quite conservative, but, you know, compared to Mike Lee, a little a little more moderate. Mm -hmm. uh, go ahead, Doug. There, there are others. I mean, Dan Hemmert, um, uh, very conservative, has been mentioned. Uh, there was even a, a, a name drop of uh, former Arizona Senator Jeff Flake. Yeah because he's been spending a lot of time, but could, could he win? Could he win against Mike Lee? Um, clearly, uh, Senator Lee, as the incumbent, has a tremendous advantage, but the conversation, the debate, needs to happen in Utah because Utah is trying to find its footing, too. Um, as a Republican state, um, uh, Donald Trump did better uh, in the election the second time around, even though he lost, but Utah, it's, it's a fascinating place. Yeah, and you have you have a lot of people who like to talk about running. There's nothing more fun in politics <laughs> than talking about who's going to run. And people who are going to run going around and visiting, you know, the political Illuminati in the state, you know, the, the wealthy, the, the famous. And everybody loves to go in and hear them say, oh, you would be outstanding as a United States senator. You would be outstanding. I've heard people say it's like everybody thinks the Tabernacle Choir is whispering in their ear, you should run. Uh, so it will be fascinating who finally signs up. That's a much different story. Uh, but you've got a lot of that testing the waters, which everybody loves to do. And everybody, look, this is what makes this country a great place. Because I don't think you'll ever hear Mike Lee discourage someone for, for, running, for running for office. And I think that's important. People ought to be able to talk about it. And the more we can focus on talking about the principles and the policies, the better off we are as a nation and as a country. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Emily. Well, I am wondering, you know, we, we have a fun time talking about this, and Spencer, I like how you make it kind of, um, you know, it's kind of like, like um, it's, it's sports for us, right? Like, ooh, who's going to join the race? But we just wrapped up an election, and so I'm wondering what kind of appetite there is among the general public to even talk about this at this point. Yeah, you, you have to wonder that. People are jumping in, certainly they're interested, but it's coming next year. And, and I'm, I'm curious, Doug, because it's not just this race people are talking about. We're seeing even on a national stage, uh, the Democrats, for example, starting to come up with their strategy. You know, how do we reclaim some of those House seats? Uh, for example, you know, even our own uh, Burgess Owens is one of those people who's been stated that they're trying to go after. Well, the fourth district is always going to be at that spot, right? Because um, uh, because it's been a place. Ben McAdams having won as a Democrat barely over Mia Love, Burgess Owens uh, in play there um, always because it's it's the fourth district. But he's just getting started, right? He's finding his footing too, um, and he's already acknowledged he's he's been learning a lot, doing a lot. So um, it's speaks to the identity of the state of Utah as a Republican state. It used to be Republican-Democrat. Now there's slices of Republicanism, and that's why it's so fascinating. Yeah. And, Absolutely. And we don't know what the fourth district is going to look like. Yeah. And and the redistricting commission and the new, the new, uh, that, that new process is going to be interesting, right. coupled with how the legislature will do redistricting. And they have a compressed time schedule, so they have a lot of work to do before January 1, which because of our new signature gathering path, moves when that 
that intent to declare that you're going to gather signatures occurs. So there's a lot of work to be done between now and the end of the year. So what, what does that fourth congressional district look like? No one knows, which is going to be one of the great uh, determinations whether or not Burgess Owens or, or Republicans hold on to it. That's right. Go, go ahead, Emily. Thanks for that. Yeah, well, I was just going to say the redistricting process will definitely be fascinating to watch throughout the state. But um, KUER actually talked with uh, political scientist Leah Murray, she's from Weber State University, about this particular district and what it will look like post redistricting. And she said basically, you know, if Ben McAdams had won, uh, the district might look very different uh, the next election because Republicans want to hold on to that. Of course, that would that would probably be gerrymandering if they changed the boundaries to make it more safe for Republicans. But since Burgess Owens won, um, I'm wondering how different the boundaries will actually be. And uh, well, probably it will still be safe for Republicans, don't you think? Yeah, Ben, ben McAdams one last go around because our own version of voter suppression occurred in the state of Utah. And that is that probably the most dysfunctional county for elections at the time in the state of Utah was Utah County. Now, there's since a new county clerk there, and but when voters showed up on election day, you know, two years ago, and saw the massive, or four years ago, and saw the massive lines, mm -hmm. they, they went home in Utah County. And Ben won by a very narrow margin. Uh, Dan Hemmert has jokingly said, that's why I knew I could win you know, two years ago. A year ago, because that would be changed with with Amelia as the the county clerk there, and that's exactly what happened. The votes in Utah County went up, but we had these long lines that occurred when when Mia lost, and so Ben won by a very small margin. But that's not necessarily the reason. I think that discounts uh, Ben McAdams as a candidate. I mean, we are voting for people who are trying to represent us. There was also um, uh, Democrats came out to vote on uh, medical marijuana. There were a lot of issues in that, so it wasn't just that there was some dysfunction in the county, in my opinion. But the, but the, the votes in that district from Utah County were much, much lower than they've ever been before. We saw that change this, this go-around when Burgess won. Well, voter turnout, that's the issue, and that's the issue yep. nationally that's got this whole voter... Absolutely right. Uh, it's just a silver lay of new voter laws going on. Well, well, so, well we, we should really talk about that, because really, you talk about uh, voter suppression or allegations of it. This is a discussion that has happened since this last election, often a topic of conversation, but particularly now, because, Emily, maybe talk about what's even happening there, because the state of Georgia is really dominating some of the headlines because they had multiple. This is a 98-page bill of voter reforms yeah. uh, in, in Georgia, but it's prompted a lot of outcry from, from big companies, which I think is just so interesting. You see uh, Delta Airlines, Major League Baseball pulling out of the, the state, for example. Levi's is in, involved in that. Talk about what is at the heart of those issues there when it comes to Georgia, because they were not alone in, uh, in terms of states that pr passed some changes this year. Well, Georgia was a high-profile state uh, this past election, right, with the Senate races there. Um, we heard about long, long lines just to vote, uh, which led to, you know, claims about voter suppression. And this law just fell into place immediately after. And like you said, Jason, it's like a 100-page bill. 
there's a lot in there. And some of the concerns uh, are around mail-in voting, like making it harder to uh, request a ballot for mail-in voting. In other states, they refer to it as absentee uh, ballots. But here in Utah, we know it very well, right? So um, I think it's interesting to see these voting laws across the country. Um, and here in Utah, we, we uh, had some law, some bills related to elections uh, this legislative session as well. But I think that in Utah, we, we, we do elections pretty well. Um, I saw that Justin Lee, the director of elections here in the state, was in like Pennsylvania testifying to their legislature about Utah's mail-in voting process. So preaching the gospel of how Utah does voting here and uh, and results in pretty good turnout. But yeah, it's definitely interesting to see uh, how other states are, are approaching this issue. Once again, we're lucky to be from Utah because um, we have had mail-in ballot voting for a very long time. Uh, at one time you could get put be put on the permanent voter registration list for mail getting your ballot by mail uh, before that we had the you had to provide an excuse why you were going to be out of your your precinct um, so we're lucky here but we're lucky here because let's face it there's a massive amount of registered Republicans and rep a Republican legislature, Republican state want every Republican to vote that they can get to vote. And what I wish we would do as as uh, as a nation is rather than listen to the deep state, that we take a deep breath and we we sit back and not have a backlash to what happened in that election. We've experienced it here as well. We had legislation this go around about initiatives and making initiatives initiatives more mm -hmm. difficult. Uh, in the past, we've changed our primary because we had a nasty primary between Bob Bennett and Joe Cannon. And so we, instead of having it in, in, uh, in September, we moved it back to June. This backlash occurs a lot in elections, but I think the important part is, and New York has a lot of restrictions as well. New York has a law where you have to have your driver's license when you register to vote. Um, and I know Chuck Schumer said, hey, Major League Baseball, come to New York, we'll, we'll host you. But they've got their own set of problems in New York. The key is everyone should be moving toward the direction of helping people cast a ballot so we can hear from them. Because it's like you said, Doug, it's voter turnout. Yeah, but it's... It, it, I would, last time I was on your show, Jason, I talked about politicians want to control. And this is about control. In, in a place like Georgia, the greater the turnout, the greater the support for the Democratic Party, which is why you have something, a voting provision that says no voting on Sunday. Because black families go to church and then they have a tradition of from church going to the voting booth. So if you say, well, we don't want that to happen, so now you restrict that. Mm -hmm. um, we can color this in a lot of different ways, but it is extremely difficult to get this out of the pol political process. People have talked about mm -hmm. Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico. They need to be states. Why would you push for that? Because they would be states with Democrats. <laughs> so yeah. it's very difficult to do something from an altruistic way of everybody should vote. Utah has done that, and they were able to do it kind of before we got into the, yeah. the mess we're it's in true. now uh, nationally. So, so Doug, w with that in mind, and, and you're one of the opinion leaders in the state, and certainly through your own voice and through the paper, uh, how, do you, how, how do you view these big businesses that are making some of the same comments that you are right now? Because they are engaged without question, even to those some allegations uh, that it is racist, some of these policies. Look, I, um, I don't like racist policies and I don't like businesses leaving. 
The reason I don't like businesses leaving is because it hurts the people who are reeling from a year of COVID-19 and now they're counting on an all-star game in Georgia and they're black owned businesses, uh, their employees, and that's lifted from them and that hurts them very, very specifically. It doesn't really hurt Delta or Coca-Cola. It may hurt the politician losing a job, but they can still pay their mortgage. So neither is a good solution. Um, so, you know, Delta's a hub in Salt Lake City. Should, you know, should Salt Lake, should Utah do a law that the world doesn't like? Is Delta gonna pull out of there when we have a multi-billion dollar new airport for Delta? So, I don't know, Emily? Yeah, please, Emily. Yeah, Doug, I think you're making some great points here. And it reminds me, all this talk of uh, MLB pulling out of Georgia, of Delta, you know, putting down the hammer or whatever. Um, something similar happened here in Utah, unrelated to voting, right? When the big outdoor retailer conference left, um, what, a couple years ago, and you know that could have happened for a variety of reasons but they mentioned it was also because of some of the public lands policies we have here in the state so i don't think it's uncommon for businesses to show their support for uh, one political issue or another um and it is common for people to vote with their dollar right okay. so right. you know uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and sadly, we are in a in a situation right now politically, when the greater the controversy you can make, the more money you can raise mm -hmm. online uh, through direct mail, through polling, for through calling. And so it almost seems like we have the two sides that are trying to create as much vitriol as they can, because when they create vitriol, it raises them money, it raises them dollars. And they and politicians have found that they can make and raise a lot more money uh, from those emails and those text messages than they can from going to Delta and asking Delta for a $100,000 contribution. So why care about those big companies anymore is what the politicians are thinking. Let's go create enough controversy on both sides and turn this into a war between uh, our you know, small donors. And I think that's, that is a problem in the United States. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Let, to, to the vitriol question, uh, this is something we tried to, to address a little bit in our in our poll, Doug, because uh, with the vitriol, sometimes you get these candidates, uh, these elected officials that people are just, you know, enough is enough sometimes. And and so the question sometimes comes is, what do you do with those elected officials once they're in? Uh, we we don't have any kind of recall provision in the state of Utah, which is I think is interesting. And, and Doug, we just recently polled on this, so I'm curious about this because it was a number I, I wasn't really expecting. It was 75% of Utahns said they would support some kind kind of recall process, and that was across the board. It wasn't just Republicans, it was Republicans, Democrats, all evenly, and those that are unaffiliated or independent. What do you make of that? Because that gets to the heart of some of this. I think it's consistent with Utah values. Uh, the people want to have a voice, and when you don't have a voice, uh, you're not happy about it. Um, people in Utah see what's going on in California. You know, Gavin Newsom, Governor Newsom, he, you know, there was some hypocrisy in how they dealt with COVID-19 and people wanted to rise up and recall him. They at least have a way to do that. And whether he's recalled or not, you have a conversation, you have a debate and you're able to look and that, that, helps, um, that helps the candidate know what the people want. So it's not surprising, I mean, it's surprising that it's three quarters of the, of the people, but I think, it's a, I think it's a strong message. It's fun to theorize about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it makes me wonder who they want to recall. <laughs> yeah, really. It's fun to theorize about that, but uh, how do you get a law passed in this state? 
the elected officials are going to have to pass a recall uh, provision to state statute. I mean, what, what do you think the chances of that are? Uh, ask the 104 elected officials. Uh, we just went through a session where Jordan Tusher just passed a, a bill that said you have to stand there at the door and allow the, the voter that's going to just sign to put something on a ballot to read the entire thing. And if they don't read the entire thing, the person gathering the signature can be charged with a crime. Now, when was the last time you got an agreement that popped up on your Apple TV or your Microsoft word that said they're changing the privacy laws. Every one of us have scrolled down to the bottom and hit agree. We're asking voters to do something different than we all do in our own lives. I would love elected officials to have to read every bill they vote on. They don't. It's just a fact. So if you're, the legislature is not going to pass a recall bill and a citizen initiative to, to put a recall bill into place is going to be very difficult with the new, with the new right. standard. So I, I well, don't know what that's going to look like, well, hypothetically. So, so Emily, I just want to get your comment on that because right. I think you know, the last time we saw this, if memory serves, is like 2014, Gage Froer had a small piece uh, to this, which, which of, of course failed, and we've not seen that. But there are over 30 states that do have some sort of recall, either for state officials or more even for local uh, elected officials. Yeah. Actually, I think it's even more recent than that, Jason. I believe representative, former Representative Tim Quinn just a couple years ago had uh, had a recall bill. And I remember because it was right after Mitt Romney voted to impeach the president. And so people thought that it was tied to that and, you know, wanting to recall Mitt Romney. But that Smart bill died, people of course. Smart people that thought that. <laughs> but the, yes. there, is, there is a danger to recall. You don't want re someone to be recalled because of policy. That's why we have an election, if they don't like their policies. But misbehavior, embezzlement, whatever it might be, if someone's misbehaving or doing something illegal, you need to have a provision, I would think. And, okay. it, and it becomes We have much, no tools otherwise. Yeah, yeah, it becomes much more difficult really on a very local level because a neighborhood bands together because they don't like what the city council did on zoning. Right, right. And so it, it does have it does have unintended consequences. Yeah. But I, I think it's a, an interesting a discussion to have, but I don't think it will ever happen. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about consequences of certain things because we do need to get to this big event that happens uh, tomorrow on the 10th, uh, the, the end of the mask mandate. So Doug, this is in place. It was the end game bill that was passed by our legislature, signed by the governor, but there's already some pushback, particularly from Salt Lake City. And uh, let's talk about our poll for just a second in terms of w what we found in terms of Utah's view on this. So what did we find? What was the number? 44? Well, so, so, 44% said they, su that's they right. supported extending uh, wearing masks. And yeah. there's a breakdown of the numbers yeah, so, you can well, go So let me give it to you because I think it was so interesting. And you, you're absolutely right. So 44% of Utahns said they thought the, the mandate could continue. But 51% of Utahns had the other side. It was 20% said the date was reasonable. 14 said it should have been lifted sooner. And 17% of Utahns said we should never had the mandate to begin with. Well, I think one of the key issues is um, they set a date, they set it a month ago as a compromise, so they didn't really have data behind it. Now we're to this point, we have a number of, you know, uh, you know, the number of vaccinations, so maybe a third of Utahns are getting vaccinated. We now have new data about people uh, under 16. They're gonna start looking at what, what that's gonna do. We've extended the mask mandate through the school year to June. Um, and we have Salt Lake City and one of the counties, which was the other county? Grand County. Yeah. Grand County, was Grand County. Um, that, that are going to keep it. So I think the principle of local control 
Um, the Deseret News supported uh, Salt Lake City keeping a, a, a mask um, mandate in certain areas um, because it's just good judgment and we know it works. So it shouldn't be political pressure either way. It should be based on the good science of what's going forward. Well, so to that point, Spencer, because in this poll, if you break it down for those numbers we just got, it, it became a very political question. It was still 73% uh, of Republicans uh, either wanted it ended or yeah, sooner, it, and 90% of Democrats wanted to keep it. I've never felt more like a Democrat than wearing a mask all the time, <laughs> because everywhere I go, people think, well, he must be a Democrat. I, I mean, I, it's the Wild West in some counties. Uh, I grew up up in Tremont. Uh, it's the Wild West up there. It's the Wild West in some, in some places in Washington County. But Republicans, by and large, want freedom. They don't want to be told what to do. And my belief is it ought to be based on science. The local health departments ought to determine what the best policy is for their county. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the politics side of it, Emily, is just so interesting because you saw Salt Lake City oh, yeah. keeping it. But even Salt Lake County did not because its council is uh, majority Republican. Right. Well, I mean, this entire pandemic has been political, right? Every single step of the way, you know, with business restrictions, uh, implementing the mask mandate back in November, and even vaccines. Um, so I, I don't think at this point there's a way to remove the politics from the issue. Um, but I, I am interested to see some of the business owners' response to the mask mandate ending. Um, there's a lot of concern that uh, frontline workers, essential service workers, haven't been vaccinated yet. And, you know, I know that we reached a, a milestone in our vaccination rate here in the state. I think we're about 44% uh, eligible have at least one dose. But that means a lot of people haven't gotten one dose yet. So there's concern about the safety of, of uh, essential workers and also businesses having to really muscle uh, mask mandate upon their patrons without the support of, of their local government. Once again, we're lucky, Jason. We live in Utah and we've navigated this about as well as it could possibly be navigated. Yeah, that's true. Thank you also for your comments tonight. Great insights on some very important issues. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Hinkley Report. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help more people find out about it, please rate it and leave us a positive review. 